0: The scripture reading for today is from Joshua 5 verses 13 to 15. Reading from Joshua 5. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped, and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is the word of the Lord. OK, High New Hope. Um... So we have uh, a guest speaker today, so I'm gonna briefly introduce him. So a lot of you know Steve Hong, but some of you don't know him, so I just wanna introduce you to him so you know him when he's speaking and he's just not speaking um, out of thin air. So this is a, this is a faithful brother and we're so grateful to have him. So he grew up in Chicago and he's not too different than any of us. Um, he loves Roger Federer. He loves playing tennis, golf. He likes the Chicago Bulls. Um, he grew up in Chicago, and then he went to seminary at Trinity. And then afterwards, I think because of the um, encouragement of his mom and dad, he applied to med school. And really, he just wanted to serve God. But then he decided that, yeah, if I get into med school, I'll go to med school. And he got in. And so he went to New York um, Medical College, right right down the street from here. And then afterwards, um, he decided that uh, he's going to serve God with his medical degree. And so he's going to try to um, serve God, s- helping people with their, saving their souls and also healing their bodies as well. And I can tell you that when I met him, it kind of rocked my world. Um, you meet a lot of people that speak of their faith in a certain way but then it doesn't match up with their lives this brother speaks his faith and it matches his life um you know i met a lot of other physicians i'm a physician as well met a lot of physicians that are seeking power uh, prestige building up themselves um and that's why they become a physician but when i met this brother it's just to serve god and um It really helped reoriented myself and my life. And I think uh, if you get to know him, you'll see that he can be an inspiration to you as well and a great influence. And so I just want to thank uh, this brother. We are very privileged to call him brother, friend, um, mentor, um, and fellow follower of Christ. And when you hear about his life, you will be amazed at how relentlessly Uh, And radically, he pursues uh, Christ uh, and pursues his life in a way that gives honor to our Lord Jesus Christ. So, brother, please come up. We're we're grateful for you. Thank you.
1: It's a privilege for me to be here, uh, New Hope. Uh, I know most of you, and um, I'm just very uh, humbled by what Alex said. We have some uh, very special guests here with us, visiting from Namibia, Deshi and her family. Um, so please say welcome them after the service as well. I'm going to be talking about Namibia a little bit as well, so you can get a sense of what we're talking about. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you are a God of grace and love and mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you are that your name is so great. you do, Jesus, you have a beautiful name and a powerful name and a wonderful name. Your name is above all names. And one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so today we come to you, Lord, your servants, asking you to speak to us, down on our knees, asking, Lord, that we would be taught by you and by your Holy Spirit, not by a man, a flawed, sinful man, but by you and your Holy Word. So we pray, help us now. Give us your Holy Spirit. Teach us, Lord. Give us minds to understand and hearts that receive and are changed and touched by your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many of you know that... My wife's sitting there, my son Samuel and I, live and work in a country called Namibia, which is in Sub-Saharan Africa. For many years, God brought me back there again and again to work in this country to, to help them fight against HIV. But over the past few years, God made it crystal clear that he wanted us to plan a youth group called Agape Youth. In 2015, when New Hope came, to run our first annual Bible camp, our vision became clear. A vision not just for a youth group, but for a gospel youth movement. And you guys have heard of that a bit. But why is a gospel youth movement needed? If you look up the numbers in Namibia, there's 89.8% professing Christians. So what's the need? 89.8% Christians where many children grow up fatherless and without hope for a future. 89.8% Christians where almost 2 out of 10 people are infected with HIV. 89.8% Christians where you can read about robbery and rape and murder and dumping of babies into toilets in the newspaper. Every day in the paper, What's the problem here? The gospel preached in Namibia, I don't want to, at the risk of caricaturizing it, is a shallow gospel, and it hasn't changed the culture, which the gospel is supposed to do. The gospel that is preached in Namibia teaches that if you give money to your preacher, you'll get healed of all your diseases, and God will help you get a new job and get money, So people follow Jesus, not because they love Jesus or treasure Jesus, but because of what Jesus can give them. This is no gospel, as you know. So what kind of an impact can one youth group have? Our youth group is bringing the true gospel of Jesus Christ to the poorest kids in Windhoek, the capital city of Namibia, which means that the harvest is really plentiful. There's a lot of poor kids in Namibia. We believe that God could do an amazing work of revival and Windhoek through a movement of poor and weak and uneducated kids. Because as you know, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that No human being might boast in the presence of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 27 to 29. And we believe that true culture change could happen if the youth of a generation were moved and changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's a huge vision. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than all of us in this room. But it's what God does. If you remember Gideon in the Old Testament, God takes an army of 32,000 men and he says, let's get rid of them. 300. Why does he do that? Just so he can show off, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And why do I share this with you today? I share it actually every January, almost to the same words. and new hope because new hope is in the very dna and flows through the very arteries of agape youth god has used new hope as the spark and foundation of revival amongst kids and their lives have been changed forever and we've been we've been witnesses to that and new hope has been the lifeblood for me and Sion. Back when we started Agape Youth with fear and trembling and to this very day. As I do every year, I want to share with you a text that we studied in Agape Youth. So I bring like the, when I come here, I bring the children's youth sermons to you, okay? We've been doing a series called, How Majestic Is Your Name, from Children's Desiring God. We've been using their curriculum and studying the names of God this year after we had the camp. But i share this passage with with you today because for the last three months it has been burning in me like jeremiah said in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones and i'm weary of holding in and i cannot hold it in and that's the way that i feel it's got to come out it's meant so much to me this text is from joshua chapter 5 verses 13 to 15 and the name of god that comes out of this text is Jehovah Tzabayoth in Hebrew. Jehovah Tzabayoth. And this name means the Lord of hosts. Lord is the name Yahweh, as you know. His personal name. And host, what is a host? I asked the youth group kids, what's a host? A host is an army of angels. I think we, one of the songs we sang about that. So you could say Yahweh of armies. God is a commander of a multitude of angels. And those angels fight for the people of God. So what does this name connote? Does this name mean God is powerful? Yes. Does this name mean that God can do all things? Of course. Does this name mean we should trust God? Yes, of course. Yes, all these things. But there's so much more here in this text. We're going to look at Joshua 5, 13 to 15, and think about what it means that God is the Lord of hosts. So open your text with me. Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. I want you to see this great text that has been burning in my bones like a fire. Many of you remember the battle of Jericho. You remember that story, right? How did Joshua and the Israelites win the battle of Jericho? Israel took the Ark of the, of, the, of the Covenant and marched around Jericho once a day, six days in a row. And on the seventh day, they marched around seven times and the priests blew the trumpets and then all the people shouted out and the walls of the city came down. You remember that story? It's a great story. We did that in Columbia when I was there once. We marched around the Columbia gates seven to- for seven days. The walls didn't come down, but... Uh, it was, we had a great time praying. But these walls came down. That's what the Bible says. Today's passage comes right before this, this great battle of Jericho. And the setting is when Joshua was standing by Jericho before the battle. It was not the first time Joshua had been there, if you remember. Forty years before, Israel had escaped 400 years of slavery in Egypt by a guy named Moses. They went through the Red Sea. They went through the desert. And they get to the promised land, and they knew they had to fight for the land. And as soon as they get in, they see this great, massive city with huge walls called Jericho. So what did Moses do, remember? He sent 12 spies. Two of them were named Caleb and Joshua. When they came back, they said, yes, the land is flowing with milk and honey. But the people are very powerful. Caleb and Joshua said, Don't be afraid. We can take it. But the other people, the other ten, they said, No. No, 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 no. These cities are fortified. These people are strong. And we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and in their eyes. Remember that? And they, and they complained against Moses. If only we had died in Egypt, Moses. Why did you bring us all the way here to die? Then God became very angry. And he almost destroyed them. But God had mercy on them because of Moses. And then he had them wander around the desert for 40 years until all the people of that generation had died out. And only two, Caleb and Joshua, were remaining. So 40 years, they come back, and Joshua is the general of the army. And this is where our text begins. Joshua looks at this same powerful city of Jericho, and he's about to attack. And he remembers what happened 40 years ago and thinking, how are we going to defeat this powerful, massive city? God promised that we could do it, but we're not trained soldiers. We've been slaves for 400 years. We've been wandering aimlessly for 40 years. And Jericho, this first massive city after we crossed the Jordan, If we can't conquer them, basically that's it. We can't conquer everyone else. So let's read the text. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, 14. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. As Joshua stands in front of Jericho, here's this man standing in front of him who must have been an imposing figure once you realize who this man is. And he has a drawn sword in his hand. Why does he have a drawn sword? The only reason he has a drawn sword is because he's ready for battle. He's ready to fight. And Joshua does not shy away. He goes up to him. He challenges him. He says, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And this man says, no, but as commander of the armies of Yahweh, I have come. And Joshua fell face down unto the earth in worship and says, command me, Lord. And the man says, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. So what do we learn from this story about the Lord of hosts? There's a few things I just want to bring out. The first question is, who is this man with the drawn sword? Literally, In the Hebrew, it says, no, for I, with emphasis, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Some people think that this is an angel. But in the Bible, we know that we don't worship angels, right? In the Bible, if anyone falls down to worship, like in the book of Revelation with John, the angel says, no, you don't worship me, worship God. They won't take worship. But Joshua falls on to worship this man, and this man accepts the worship. And he says, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. This is not an angel of the Lord. This is the angel of the Lord. And many scholars believe that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. The one sent out from God and is God. The one who can mediate the presence of a holy God to man and man not be consumed. I believe that as well. I believe this is Jesus Christ, the commander of the Lord's army. So Jesus is the Lord of hosts. And you say, that's nice. That's interesting. What what does that mean for me? Jesus is the Lord of hosts. Well, we always think of Jesus as humble, gentle, gentle with children in his arms, being beaten and dying on a cross, being oppressed and afflicted and not opening his mouth. But did you know that Jesus is a commander of the armies of the Lord? Do you think of that? Do you think of Jesus like that? Jesus commands legions of angels. Do you guys remember the movie Gladiator? It's kind of old now. Remember that that movie? It's kind of old. Remember that that general of that army? Remember he said, my name, my, name, my voice won't, can't do this because my voice is scratchy and, and high, right? He says, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix legions, loyal servant to the true emperor Marcus Aurelius. Remember that guy? He was cool. He was powerful. He's strong. He's awesome, right? He's a shadow of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lord of hosts. Jesus is a commander of the armies of the Lord. I want to reflect on this because many people's view of Jesus is this. Jesus is my helper. He's my counselor. He's here to love me, comfort me, give me advice. But when Jesus wants me to do something, well, I'm not sure if I want to do it. Let me think about it and see what's best for my life. Look at how this general of Israel armies reacts when he finds out that this is the commander of the armies of the Lord. He falls at his feet in worship, and he says, command me. Your wish is my command. I'm ready to do whatever you would have me do. Uh, New Hope, do we have enough of this vision of Jesus in our church and in our lives? Or do we have a domesticated Jesus, one who is tame One who could not even hurt a fly. He could never rebuke you. He's just very nice. This passage shows us, don't miss this, that Jesus is the Lord of hosts. He's awesome. Amen? What else do we learn about the Lord of hosts? When Joshua came up to the Lord of hosts, Joshua said to him, Are you for us or are you against us? And the Lord of hosts said, No no I just asked you are you for us or against us why did the man answer no my boy Samuel always comes to me and he says dad you're supposed to answer I'm for you or I'm against you but the man doesn't do that he says no that doesn't answer the question what the man is saying is that Joshua it's the wrong question it's neither I'm not for you And I'm not against you. No, for I, I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and I'm come. Joshua, don't ask me, are you for me or against me? I'll ask you, are you for me or against me? And Joshua fell down on his face in worship and said, command me, Lord. The Lord of hosts is not on our side. We are on his side. He's not on our team. We're on his team. A soldier doesn't go to a general and say, are you on my side? (laughs) The general says, are you on my side? I think we get this wrong many times. Many times we go to God and say, God, are you for me or against me? Will you help me? Joshua needed help to win his war, right? He's standing there in front of Jericho, this huge challenge in front of him that he feels like he cannot handle. And he needs help. He's scared. He's anxious. He's nervous. And he says to God, are you going to help me? Similarly, we want help with our lives. We want God to help us. We go to God and say, God, I need your help with school. I need your help with work, with ministry. My finances are very bad now. My family, I'm having a hard time with my husband or wife, my friends. My health is very bad now, my mood, my life. And we pray, God, are you for me or are you against me? And the Lord of hosts' answer to you from this text is no. That's the wrong question. I'm not on your side, you're on my side. It's not wrong to, look, it's not wrong to ask God to help you. That's not the point of what I'm saying. We can ask God to help us. But if it's the only way you pray then you don't really pray any differently from any non-Christians, do you? There's a plenty of non-Christians out there who don't believe in Jesus Christ. When they're in trouble, they'll pray to God. And if that's the only way we pray, then we haven't met the Lord of hosts. When I was back in Windhoek several months back, I, I, was, I prayed because I was anxious. I was worried. I had applied for a job that would keep me and my family in Namibia, and I was waiting for an answer. And I wanted this job, and I was anxious, and I prayed, God, help me get this job. Then I stopped myself because I knew this was the wrong prayer. So I prayed the way I was taught. God, I changed the prayer. I said, God, you're A sovereign and wise God you know what my life will be if I get the job and you know what my life will be if I don't get the job you know what's better I trust you if my life will get be better with the job please give me the job if my life will be better without the job don't let me get the job and that's how I prayed I'm sure you prayed like that right and I thought that's a better prayer I'm trusting the sovereign Lord Then I heard the Lord of hosts say no. Then I understood. So I prayed a new prayer. God, you know which way will most glorify you. Whichever way my life could be used better for your kingdom, for your glory, lead me that way. That way may be harder It may have more suffering. It may lead to loss. But if it glorifies you and leads to deeper satisfaction in Christ for me and my family, lead me that way. You see? My prayer totally changed after I met the Lord of hosts. At first I said, God, are you for me or against me? And God said to me, no, are you for me or against me? And I said, Lord, I'm on your side. My life is yours. Command me. How do you pray? Do you pray pray like the world prays? Help me. Make my life better. Is that how you pray? Or do you pray like someone who met the Lord of hosts? Command me. Glorify your name in me. God is not here to be our genie. He's not here just to fulfill our wishes, to make our lives comfortable, successful, fulfilling. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of armies. And if we really meet him, he says, no. Are you for me or against me? Are you on my side? I've seen that so many people in Africa, in my limited experience there, think of God as a genie. Not all. Not my great good friends there. It's called the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. You've heard of that. God is for me. He's on my side. If I trust him, he'll make everything go well. I'll get rich. I'll be healthy. And we say, that's wrong. (laughs) That's wrong. That's not the gospel. They don't have it right. They're wrong. Oh, how easily we see error in others. Do we not do this ourselves? In the American church, we feel that if we trust God... Things are supposed to be, go well in our lives, don't we? People are supposed to like us. We're upstanding citizens, respected in our church, in our societies, in our work. We have good families. We have nice homes. We have cars. We have good titles, jobs, good friends. We can go on nice vacations. And things aren't supposed to go for bad for us because God is on our side. Oh, how subtle this is. I see it in myself. We believe if we trust God, things in this world will go better for us. You'll never say that out loud, but if you're honest with yourself, see if it's there. We say, if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8. But Romans 8 also says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, in danger, sword, nakedness, famine, persecution, being killed, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Have you met the Lord of hosts? Has he come to you and has he said no to you? Have you bowed down before him and said, command me? Whatever it is, Lord, whatever the cost, my family, my money, my job, my home, whatever it is, Lord, your wish is my command. If you haven't done that, you haven't met the Lord of hosts. The last thing that we learn about the Lord of hosts is that life is war there was a physical in the ba- in this story there was a physical battle that would be waged in Jericho there was but behind the physical battle right it's staring out at the page at us there was spiritual one happening and it's clear in the text that the important battle wasn't the physical battle Jericho came down because of the Lord's armies. And it's the same in our lives. There's a war that's go- that God is fighting that's much worse than any physical war that has ever been fought in the history of mankind. Because in every physical war what can be lost is physical life. But in this war what can be lost is eternal life. It's a fight for souls. Ephesians 6 talks about this, if you remember. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When we enter the Christian life, did you know that we voluntarily enlisted into God's army? This is absolutely true. You know, the other day, I had to fill out a form for a government job. I did get that job, by the way. It's a government job. And um, I had to fill out this form. And it said, the question was, did you register for selective services? And I didn't know. I actually filled no. (laughs) I said, no, I didn't. Then it said, you don't qualify for this job then. I got really scared. After all that, I don't qualify for the job. So I Googled it. And I learned, in the US, men ages 18 to 25 are required to register for the military draft. Did you know that? I forgot. So that if there's a war, you can be drafted by some lottery system. And it also said, if you don't register, you will become disqualified for citizenship, federal financial aid, and federal jobs. And then it said, if you didn't do it by age 26, and it said in the website with bold red letters, it's too late. (laughs) I couldn't believe it, and I got scared. Then I searched my name in the federal website. It's like furiously searching for my name. And it said, oh, June 1st, 1992, Stephen yong Hong enlisted. <laughs> Thank God. Maybe my mom did it for me, I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't disqualified. For a second, I thought I was disqualified to be getting a job or even being citizen. I am a citizen, maybe I'm disqualified. Did you know in God's army, It's also voluntary enrollment, and there's also a deadline. And if you don't register, you also will be disqualified for citizenship. And this citizenship is much more important than a US citizenship. Can you imagine Judgment Day words? I just saw those, it's like burned in my eyes, this red lettering, too late. Those are like the worst words possible, too late, disqualified. The question that Joshua chapter 5, 13 to 15 asks us today, and it confronts you, you must be confronted by this, is are you on his side? Have you enlisted? If you have, the good news is that there's good news here. The Lord of hosts is fighting for you to destroy the walls of Jericho in your life. I love that truth. Sins that you have been captive to for years. We all know of those sins. Lust, pornography, greed, bitterness, apathy, laziness, gluttony, pride, self-sufficiency, anxiety, fear, etc., etc., etc. And you may feel powerless against these sins. We all feel that. The walls are too high and too strong. And you've given up. I'll never defeat these sins in my life. So why try? It's not hurting anyone. So there's no longer any battle against sin in your life that's gone. Striving for holiness is gone in your life. You're wandering around in the desert aimlessly. You feel like you're going around in circles. You haven't crossed the Jordan River for battle. Instead, you have made peace with your sins. Is that you? But if you're on his side, if you've declared war on your sin, if you've crossed the Jordan River into enemy territory to fight, the clear message of this text is that the Lord of hosts is fighting for you. That's why he has a drawn sword in his hand. Yes, the walls are high and they're strong and we look like grasshoppers. But the commander of the Lord's army is fighting for us. So all the more, how encouraged should we be to fight? If you're Joshua and you just saw the commander of the Lord's army with his sword drawn waiting to fight for you, are you going to be scared to fight? No. Are you going to go back home? No, you're going to be encouraged and strengthened to go and fight because the commander of the Lord's army is fighting for you. It's the same for us. This thought is so encouraging to me for all the sins that I struggle with in my life. It encourages me to fight the good fight. Philippians 2 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Why? Because it is God who is at work in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You should fight sin in your life because God is fighting sin in your life. The one who has all the power in the universe is fighting for your sin to be destroyed. So there's no sin in your life that cannot be destroyed. That's what the Bible says. Take hope in that. Don't let the large walls, the tall walls that have been built up in your life, of any of those sins that I listed or more, deter you from going to war. We must end this sermon seeing the passage in context. How did we get to Jericho? There was an order here. I love this passage. There's an order here. If you go back, read Joshua chapter 3 all the way to Joshua chapter 5. God had, number one, taken his people through the waters of baptism when he parted the river Jordan. He did it just like he did the Red Sea. He parted it. And they walked straight through the waters of baptism. Number two, he had them circumcised. Once they crossed the Jordan River into enemy territories, all the men had to be circumcised. Can you imagine if the enemy knew that? They could have taken advantage of them. Number three, he had them celebrate the Passover. Then number four, he had Joshua meet Jesus, the Lord of hosts. Don't miss this. In these chapters, the gospel is everywhere. Meeting of the Lord of hosts and bowing down to him and in surrendering your life happens in the context of cleansing, circumcision of our hearts and the blood of the Lamb. It's all there in this passage. See it there. How do the walls come down in Jericho? How is victory won? It's all been won on the cross in Jesus Christ. When the Lord of hosts himself took the sword, the victory was accomplished. Now we're on the other side of victory. We're mopping up. But the battle is real. And there are casualties, and we must fight. Second Corinthians 10, verse 4-5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought, every thought, to make it obedient to Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we thank you for this passage in Joshua. We thank you, Lord, that you've written these things and recorded them in a book for us so that we could be warned and encouraged. Father, these stories are there so that we can know what it is like to follow you the mistakes that the people of God had made in the past, and for you to come to our lives and to challenge us with a message that the Lord of hosts is here. He is Jesus Christ. Are we for him or are we against him? Will we bow our knee to him? Will we surrender all to him and say your wish is our command? Thank you, Lord, that you have accomplished the victory on the cross defeating sin and death and Satan, and you said it is finished, and now we come to you wanting to enjoy the victory, but help us, Lord, to embrace the battle that we have, all of us in our lives. There is a battle that we all must fight in order to get to the promised land. Would you help us to fight this battle in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray.